Hey, what's up, NFL fans, and welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. That's right, week five is officially over. It is hard to believe, depending on how you view the 17-game schedule, you could say that a quarter of the season is done based upon bye weeks and all that crap. But still, it's hard to believe that this it's going by quick. And joining me, as always, on this show is Kevin Smith. What's up, Kevin? How's it going? Going great. And you're right, it is going by quick. And I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to put Dave Schofield on that. He's the stat guy. Dave, Dave, let us yeah. know what percentage of the season have we are we officially through now? Is it like 30.6%? Whatever. <laughs> that doesn't roll off the yeah. tongue. No, it doesn't. And he actually says that he takes it depends on where the bye week is for him. And he one one section gets five games lumped in. So it all depends on that's how he looks at it with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But nonetheless. Week five is in the books. I'm Jeff Hartman. Forgot to say that at the top of the show. Coach KT Smith, like we always do in the NFL Whip Around, we talk about the big storylines and the topics of the week that was. If you're looking for a game-by-game recap, go back and check out on the FFSN NFL feed, the Fans First Football Show, which no Rob Stats Guerrero yesterday. He was at the game on Sunday night in San Francisco. So he was there, and I had Wesley Coleman of the Dome Patrol podcast covering the New Orleans Saints help me out. So go back and check that out. But for this show, again, we're not going to hit every game, but we're going to talk about the storylines. And we're going to start this thing off in a in a really negative tone. Like it's, <laughs> They're not talking about the best team. We're talking about the worst team and which team is in worse shape. And before we get to this, I want to ask you a question that was brought up on Monday's show with myself and Wesley. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you view it differently than I do. There are a handful. I, I literally mean a handful of teams that can be considered elite. There's a handful of teams that are the bottom feeders. And then there's a whole bunch of in-between. Do you agree with that? It seems like this is more severe in terms of, I guess, the NFL would call it parody. Some would call it just mediocre play in the middle. But it seems like there's a lot in between. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. I, I think it's, it's exactly how the NFL wants it. You've got... Heading in, heading into week five, every team in the AFC was between three and one and one and three, which means nobody's out of it, which means fan bases are engaged. And they've, you know, they've obviously set it up the way that they structure the draft, the way they put the schedules together to try to, I'm not saying punish the good teams, but obviously uh, give the give the weaker teams a better opportunity to improve. And and I'm sure it's all designed to you know keep people motivated, keep them interested. Uh, so I think that that's how it's going to play out. I mean, it's funny because like I remember growing up the dynasty eras when I was really little, the Steelers dynasty, when I was you know, a teenager, it was the 49ers in the 80s and then it was the Cowboys and then it was the Patriots. And, may, and maybe you could make the argument that, you know, the, like the Chiefs, they're on a great run, but I, don't, I certainly wouldn't say they're, they're a dynasty. I just don't think we're ever going to see that again because yeah. of the way that everything's set up. Now, and you think about the 70s Steelers and, and even into the 80s, you know, pre-free agency. I mean, go back. If you put that 70s Steelers team in a free agency era, they can't keep everyone. There's no way you could pay that defense. <laughs> mean no. Joe Green and all this. Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, Mel Blunt. All those guys would, would be asking for top dollar. There's no way in a salary cap era and free agency they'd be able to keep them. So the game has definitely changed, but I agree. The NFL wants us to be, and they want it to be a week by week thing. The the instant reaction, the knee jerk reaction from fan bases, where they're just like, "Oh my gosh, like my team sucks," and then my team's the best in the league. This is exactly what they want. That's why they have Good Morning Football, where they drum it up every single day. But we're going to talk about in the first topic of discussion today these two teams, and which team is in worse shape because both are pretty bad, and that's between the New England Patriots. I can't believe I just said that. 
hmm. or the Denver Broncos with Sean Payton. Both teams have only won one game. The New England Patriots are coming off of being shut out at home, shut out at home by the New Orleans Saints and didn't even have a field goal attempt. It's not like they kicked a field goal and missed. They didn't even have an attempt. Like, oh, just absolutely awful. Denver loses to the Jets of all teams. Again, just atrocious football. I'm going to ask you, Coach, which which team is in worse shape? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that these are two, two fascinating teams when you consider the head coaches. I mean, Bill Belichick's a legend. Sean Payton's a Super Bowl winning champ, uh, winning coach. And you, you you don't expect to be talking about them when you when you think about some of these numbers. I mean, the Broncos are giving up 36 points per game. They've given up more rushing yards through the first five games of a season than any team in, in history. The Patriots have been outscored 72 to three the last two weeks. I think their point differential Gosh. for the season is like minus 76. Um, and so, yeah, it's an interesting question because one, it's so surprising. And then two, you think like, all right, well, how do they salvage these situations? And I don't know if there's an easy fix for either one of them. New England's got a huge quarterback problem. I mean, Mac Jones was benched on Sunday and they benched him for Bailey Zappi. And I don't know if that's going to move the needle at all. No. And then D Denver, I mean, the, the issues with Russell Wilson seem to be sort of this clash of personalities between he and Sean Payton. And the defense is a disaster. And it feels as though Denver's problems are just as much about the locker room as there are anything else. And New England's are a little bit more practical in that they, they don't have a, a quarterback to move the offense. There's not an easy fix on, on any one of those. Who do you, who do you, I'm going to hedge right now. Who do you think's in the worst situation? I think it's, I think there's no doubt about it that it's New England. And I'll tell you why it's New England. It has nothing to do with this season at all. It has everything to do with the fact that Sean Payton is the new sheriff in town in Denver. And so if they don't win this year, it's going to give him a, a reason to just say, you know what? We're cleaning house. I'm going to trade everyone. I'm going to trade anyone that I can get anything for. You're out of here. I'm going to have my draft picks, my guys. And then you can judge me when I have my players. He has that crutch. They have that whole, this is a new start for the Denver Broncos. New England doesn't have that. Bill Belichick's been there forever. He's the GM of the freaking team. So who do you blame for having this bad roster other than the guy that's making the draft picks and coaching the team? Belichick's in a tough spot. And you mentioned the quarterbacks. The second week in a row that Bailey Zappi has come in for Mac Jones. And people will say, well, the game got out of hand. At some point, that is just going to absolutely crush the quarterback, and you have to make a move, and you got to move on from him. And so this is, yeah, Russell Wilson's bad. I don't think anyone thought that the Denver Broncos were going to be that good this year. I think, personally, New England is by far in worse shape. You agree or disagree with that? No, I, I agree, and I think that it, it's, it's even more problematic when you think about Belichick's motivation. Uh, I, there's... There's a lot of talk that he he really wants to break Don Shula's record, yeah. and and he's and and I believe that he's 17 wins away. And New England doesn't seem like they're close to 17 wins in the next couple of years. And Belichick's yeah. 72 years old. At what point he's do you 72? say he'll be? Yeah, he's got three. Yeah, the guy I read today that at the current pace, that it will take him three full years to break Don Shula's record at, at which point he'd be 75. So he has 72 years old. Oh so, I mean, gosh. at what point then do you say, you know, we got to force this guy out and, and every, I don't know. I, I mean, does Bill Belichick have, have a lifetime deal with Robert Kraft? Does he get to sort of say when he's done or does Robert Kraft ultimately make that decision? That's going to be ugly if it comes to that. There's a lot of 
<laughs> Growing up, I would hear the, the term scuttlebutt being used. There's a lot of <laughs> undercurrent being discussed, and you see it online with the fact that Robert Kraft is not very happy with the team. And why? What? How could you be? How could you be happy with what you're seeing on the field right now? At home, getting shut out. What was it? Thirty-four to nothing by the Saints. Ah, that's such a bad look. Such a bad look. That's why I'm going to go with New England as the worst team. Neither of these teams are good. None of them are going to win a lot of games this year. But I, I think that at least with Sean Payton, that he has that. This is my first year. You got to give me a, a little bit of time. He has at least has that on his side, whereas Bill Belichick does not. So we'll see where that goes. Let's talk about two other teams that didn't really light it up in week five, yet it's a rivalry game. So when you're talking about a rivalry game, you're talking about really tough. And when you're talking about these two teams, especially Pittsburgh, Baltimore, at one time it was the best rivalry in the league. Is it still that? Kevin, what do you think? in the league i mean i i and that, i'm obviously very jaded and biased not jaded but biased as, as a steelers fan but uh i feel as though there there aren't too many games or there aren't too many rivalries that deliver consistently great games like pittsburgh baltimore and you could look at yesterday's game or sunday's game between pittsburgh and baltimore and say that wasn't a great game but it sort of it sure had a great ending and, and it always comes down to a great ending between Pittsburgh and Baltimore. you got to go back to 2018 to find a game between those two teams who play twice a year that was uh, an outcome of more than a double-digit margin. I mean, the Steelers, uh, up until yesterday, they'd won – their last five victories were by a combined 16 points over Baltimore. And, and Baltimore's win over Pittsburgh last year was by two points. So Pittsburgh's won six out of the last seven, but every single one of them has been – single-digit wins in yesterday's or Sunday's game, a seven-point Pittsburgh win was tied for the biggest margin over that span. So you know they're going to be close. You know they're going to be hard-hitting. They're not always well-played, but but I don't think anybody really expects them to, to be well-played because they know each other so well, right? When you are so familiar with an opponent, and when that opponent mirrors you in so many ways, like Pittsburgh Baltimore does, sometimes it lends itself to some ugliness because you have to think outside the box in order to surprise your opponent. You don't always execute some of those schemes well. And so for me, it's old school because it's just physical football the way that, it, that that football used to be. And there's probably more exciting rivalries out there because they're more high scoring and high flying the way the NFL wants it to be. Like, you know, Kansas City's probably maybe Kansas City Buffalo. They've had some amazing games over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's not a natural rivalry. And that's just too modern in terms of the yeah. way the football's being played. There's not a lot of those throwback rivalries like you mentioned, and this would be one of those throwback rivalries. And people can talk Green Bay and Chicago all they want. It does not have the same stigma as Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. There is no love lost. I mean, for crying out loud on ESPN set, you've got Bart Scott and Ryan Clark, two guys that have retired for years, <laughs> chirping at each other. Bart yeah. Scott saying that Kenny Pickett has junior Whopper hands and Ryan Clark talking about his <laughs> Super Bowl rings and stuff. I mean, it's comical. We both laugh about it, but that's what this still means. Like I guarantee you in, in the rumor from the game on Sunday was that Joey Porter Jr. was talking so much trash to OBJ when he was on the field, telling him that he needs to go tend to his own family and he needs to hang it up and all this stuff. He got that gene from his father who went onto the bus of the Baltimore Ravens and wanted to go after Ray Lewis. That's what makes this the best rivalry in the NFL. Because those type of situations and what, what 
was what came before them. You know, I, I got to watch a little bit of the pregame uh, before they, they and they had uh, Evan Washburn was with. Um, oh my gosh, Agent Zero, they call him in Baltimore, who's the Roquan Smith. Yes. And they were showing all these old clips. Hey, Roquan, what do you think about this? It's Ray Lewis and Bart Scott beating the absolute hell out of Ben Roethlisberger back in the day. And then it shows Troy Polamalu, like Heinz Ward. It, 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 it brings back all this stuff. The history does play a role into it, but it, like this, like you said, the fact that they're always highly contested games. Very few blowouts. I think in the last decade, you can count the amount of games, like you said, that were two scores, more than a score game on one hand. These games are always close. That's why when people, I saw these predictions leading up to the week five game. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a blowout. Ravens are going to kill them. Like, have you all been paying attention? These games are never blowouts. The flukiest crap ever happens. And I, I laughed to myself when I've typed up the game recap and it was 17 to 10. And I said, boy, some schmuck that didn't watch the game is going to be like, oh, it's a pretty conventional game. 17-10, it's a pretty normal score. Nope, there was a safety in there. <laughs> there was just the fourth and two at the end of the half, which I want to get your take on John Harbaugh's decision to try and draw the Steelers <laughs> off sides. I mean, what did you think about this game, Coach? I got to ask you. I, I just, uh, there were so many curious moments in that game. The Harbaugh, yeah. the Harbaugh uh, example is great. I think coaches are, are getting a little carried away with these fourth down decisions. I've been talking about that on, on my podcast, uh, you know, my call sheet podcast, just because it's fascinating to me that some of these guys are married to these metrics and the metrics all say go for it, but they're, I just think they're getting carried away. And, and then evidently the, the center snapped the ball when he wasn't supposed to snap it. And they wind up running some impromptu, play that didn't work out and I mean Baltimore squandered the game I mean they they had nine official drop passes maybe even more than that probably three or four of them that would have been easy touchdowns if they they held on to the ball uh, but Pittsburgh figured it out they figured out uh, ways to to pressure Lamar Jackson and they did a nice job just forcing him to get rid of the ball quickly and keep him in the pocket and then at the end of the game Kenny Pickett like he has done I mean for as bad as Kenny Pickett has been uh, this year, he just has this fourth quarter thing. He's got in 17 professional starts, he's got five fourth quarter comebacks, and that puts him amongst the top in the NFL. Yeah, you can say a lot. You can say whatever you want about Kenny Pickett, but the the it factor, the clutch gene, the dude has it. Like that that the dude has it in spades. And so, while you want to see him improve a little bit before the fourth quarter, he <laughs> does have that fourth quarter going for him. So we could talk about Steelers Ravens till the cows come home. We're not going to do that. We're going to move on. The third topic of the show were some big wins on Sunday between two teams that really have struggled out of the gate. One, because, well, their quarterback got hurt in week one. That's the New York Jets. And then the second one, which they beat the Denver Broncos, but still nonetheless a win's a win. And then the Cincinnati Bengals finally start to look like the Cincinnati Bengals going on the road in the desert, beating the Arizona Cardinals. I think the final was 34-20 to 20 in that one. Uh, Jamar Chase goes off. I think he had 193 touchdowns. Joe Burrow looking a little bit more comfortable. You know, which team in your opinion, has the best chance to turn this thing around after this Sunday? Yeah, I don't think there's any question it's Cincinnati because, I mean, they're already just a game back in the AFC North. They haven't yet played the Steelers, who are technically the leaders in the division. That's right. But <laughs> Go Steelers. But, uh, <laughs> the and, you know, the, the, the Bengals have all that potential. They've got all that talent. They, they traditionally get off to slow starts. The, this year was the third time in the last four seasons they've started the year 0-2. And, and, he, and you know they, can, they put it together. They get better as the season goes. So it won't be shocking to me at all if 
before all this is said and done, if Cincinnati winds up battling it out with the Ravens, uh, you know, for the division title, uh, the Jets, hey man, you know, that was like, that was a revenge game for them, not for the players, but they all rallied yeah. to their offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett's side, because Sean Payton uh, said that he had did the worst job in NFL coaching history last year when he was coaching the Broncos. And, the, you know, the Jets flew out to Denver and they rallied around him. I mean, Robert Sala named, named Hackett a team captain for the game. And, uh, you know, they were, they were, they were fired up, man. So. So it's a nice little, you know, it's a nice little uh, vindication story for the Jets, but they still have Zach Wilson as the quarterback. They got a great defense, but they're just not going to have enough offense in arguably the toughest division, at least at the top with Buffalo and Miami in the NFL. Cincinnati, like I said, started to look like Cincinnati, the team that we all expect. Early in the game, defense was struggling a little bit. Uh, James Conner leaves with a que it was questionable to return with a knee injury. He was running the ball well at that time that might've aided them a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but when you start to see Joe Burrow throwing to Jamar chase and they're there, that connection is clicking on all cylinders. That tells you something, but I will say this, you look at the upcoming stretch for these teams, Cincinnati's upcoming stretch is tough. I mean, it is tough. They have a first place schedule. They still have to play teams like the Kansas city chiefs. They still have to play the San Francisco 49ers because they're paired up with the NFC West. They've got to play the Buffalo Bills. I mean, it's going to be a tough road for Cincinnati. So while I agree that they are the team with the best chance to turn it around, they also have a more difficult schedule to do so. And that's why I stand by the fact that even before the season started, you talk about the division, the AFC North, which was created in 2002. Since its creation, no team has won it three years in a row, ever. The Bengals won it the last two years. I think history remains true, and I don't think they win it this year. So uh, that's just my own personal belief. It's going to be a tough road ahead for Cincinnati. Yeah, I still think Baltimore's the most complete team in the division. Uh, and again, Baltimore's kicking themselves looking back on Sunday's game because they recognize that they let one get away. Uh, but I, I like I, you know, two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were talking about Baltimore's offense just looked disjointed. But it really seems as though they have a plan, and and I don't know if they're if they're executing the plan fully just yet, but they're really leaning in hard on some of what Todd Munkin did in college with RPOs, read options, uh, getting the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands quickly, the play action game, and the Steelers. It was frustrating the Steelers on Sunday because it was so efficient in the first half, and Pittsburgh just said, "All right, well, the heck with it. We're just going to blitz them." And and the blitzes were effective, but in large part because Baltimore kept dropping the ball. So if if Lamar Jackson's playing good football, that offense is going to be really hard to beat. And and everybody knows how good the defense is. That's going to be the key. I mean, you saw it in the Pittsburgh Baltimore game. The interception of Jerry Porter Jr. Like, what what the hell was that? Like, you that those are the the brain farts you can't have if you want to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender or at least have been the division. So. Uh, we'll see, but we both are in on the Bengals to be the team to bounce back. Let's go to a team that, man, Sunday Night Football was, everyone was excited for this game. San Francisco, Dallas, you're talking about the team that we said, both of us, last week was the most complete team in the NFL, the best team in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers at home in primetime, welcoming the Dallas Cowboys. With Dallas Cowboys riding high, they uh, had only lost one game, that really weird game against the Arizona Cardinals. And then they get their doors blown off. Dak Prescott does not look good. I think he's intercepted three times in the game. Dak Prescott, 
yeah, no bueno on Sunday night, Saturday, Sunday night football. I want to ask you where you stand on Dak Prescott and where he is. You know, you look at the the amount of money he's making. My gosh, you put this in the notes for for today. I didn't realize this. He's due to make $59 million in 2024. That's an absurd amount of money. And I know Cowboy fans, they love Dak. But from the outside looking in, what are your thoughts on the quarterback? <laughs> First of all, I'm, I'm about to piss off two separate fan bases with, <laughs> with what I'm about to say. <laughs> so, But to me, the Dallas Cowboys are, are, the, are the Notre Dame fighting Irish of the NFL, right? That they, <laughs> they're constantly hyped, constantly hyped. And, and yet they just never seem to deliver in the big moments. It just feels as though there's a ton of potential. There's a lot of national love for them. A lot of media people love them. There's a lot of glitz and glamour. And then, you know, at the end of the day, man, they just can't get it done. And, and, and I think Dak Prescott right now for the Cowboys is emblematic of that for the franchise as a whole. I, I saw a statistic today when the Dallas Cowboys are leading Dak Prescott is number one in the entire NFL in QBR. When the Dallas Cowboys are trailing, which essentially means when they need him to play the best, he's number 28 in the NFL in QBR. That's a damning statistic to me. I think Kenny Pickett might be the opposite. You know, like, I mean, I <laughs> yeah. just, just from what you see from the Steelers and, and if you're a team like, like Dallas and you understand that, that you've got Super Bowl aspirations you know, they're, they're hyped up right up there with the Cowboys or with the 49ers and the Eagles as the best in, in the NFC. You've gone, you're going to have to be, you're at your best in big games when those games are tightened down to the wire. And it just, it just hasn't happened for Prescott. And his contract is up after 2024. And like you said, he's, he's due this enormous sum, sum of money next year. And then the contract is up. And if you're just being bluntly honest, what's he, what's he won? What's he done? He's put up some really good numbers, but he gets hurt. He, he, he has these games like he had on Sunday night where he just plays poorly in a big spot. And I just don't, and, and if you're going to extend him, man, what's the next contract extension for Dak Prescott look like if you're going to offer him at the top of the market. And for a guy who hasn't won anything, I just don't think that they can that they can do that. I just don't. I, I think if Dak Prescott doesn't turn it around fast, that next year will be his last year in Dallas. Well, you know they make that trade for Trey Lance, and so I wonder. And I, I'm not glued into the Dallas Cowboy fan base, thankfully, uh, but I'm wondering if there is a little bit of talk right now about. Well, I wonder if Trey Lance should get an opportunity. I wonder if he should get a look, but. It, it, there's some people that think that Dallas as a whole could just be blown up, that Mike McCarthy could be fired and they could go with a new regime and Dak Prescott could be gone. Like you mentioned, I'm not ready to have that knee jerk reaction. I still think they're a really good team. Uh, I, I think that, you know, suffering the loss of uh, the, the cornerback digs is, it was a big blow for them. You know, you're relying on, on Stephen, Go Stephen Gilmore on the outside as your number one cornerback. I'm not sure he's capable of that anymore at his age. But no, you pay your quarterback that much money. You expect the quarterback to have some type of response and to give you, hey, you have to, we pay you, you pay us by winning football games. They've won some regular season games, but that's it. So I agree with you. He doesn't start playing better, especially in the biggest games, the games that really matter. I know they haven't, they, they've got a really tough road to hoe as well. They, they've got games against Philadelphia. 
They've got games. Divisional games are going to be tough no matter what, but it's it's not going to be easy for the Dallas Cowboys. It's not going to be easy for Dak Prescott. He called this loss the most humbling of his career. Okay, <laughs> how do you respond? Like that's the big question. How do you respond? So yeah, we the shall thing see. real quick. The thing real quick with them is like it, like what you mentioned. It does make sense if you move on from Prescott to move on from with from McCarthy as well because now you find the coaching staff that you think is best to develop a young guy like Trey Lance. That's probably not Mike McCarthy uh, given, you know, his history with more veteran quarterbacks and, uh, and not really being a guy who's got a a extensive past in terms of developing young talent. So yeah, they're both probably looking at uh, they you know, they got to put up or it's going to be over. Put up or shut up. That's what I love. Let's go to the last topic here before we get to our player profile of the week. It's a team that when I was going over this on the Monday show with Wesley, it's like, okay, the Detroit Lions, like they're four and one. I didn't realize this till you sent over the notes for the show. They won 12 of the last 15 games, and they have both a top 10 offense and defense, which last year they had the offense but didn't have the defense. Now they kind of have that compliment. Are the Lions for real? Your son's a, your son's a fan, I think, so you should know this team <laughs> yeah. as well as anyone. Are the Lions for real this year is a good question. I think they're going to be front runners in the NFC North, but that doesn't mean that they are for real and could be actual contenders to do some damage. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that they have the most impressive win in the NFL so far this year, which was that opening night win in Kansas City. And when you think about it, they're going into Kansas City in prime time as a young, hyped-up team to play the Chiefs when the Chiefs are unveiling – they're Super Bowl championship, and it's a big spotlight game, and it's a, it's a perfect game for for Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and all those guys in Kansas City to go off. And the Lions just they, that wasn't a fluke, man. They outplayed Kansas City, and then the very next week they lose their only game of the season so far, where Geno Smith just plays a phenomenal football game, and they lose in overtime to Seattle. And ever since then, they've won three games fairly comfortably. They're just a team, I think, that has a nice blend of good veterans and lots of young talent. And they most maybe most importantly, they believe in their head coach and their head coach believes in them. He's the right fit for that group. And it feels as though that they're just kind of, you know, like riding a little bit of a wave right now that that the that the conditions are right for them to win the NFC North, which is not very good. And and go into the playoffs with a lot of momentum and a lot of belief in themselves. And they're probably not ready to knock off Philadelphia or San Francisco. But I think that they could be the third best team in, in the NFC. They may be better than Dallas in the long run. And and if you're the third best team in the in, in a conference, then you got a shot, you know. So I'm not gonna say that hey, they're going to the Super Bowl, but I think that they feel, especially after that that opening night win in Kansas City, that they could go anywhere and win in any stadium. And that's a huge benefit for them from a confidence standpoint well hey don't tell some of this to your boys in the uh jersey area that are philly fans but i'm not sold on the eagles right now so when you talk about the lions being like the number three yeah statistically you'll say they're number three if they were playing in a neutral field with the philadelphia eagles i'd probably take the detroit lions as we sit here right now i just think they're playing better football you might disagree what do you think i think the eagles right now are a team that I don't want to say is I'm not going to say they're bored. Uh, they're they they clearly have flaws, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They lost a lot of talent on defense in free agency, and they and they didn't yeah. replace it with equal talent. So 
They're clearly, you know, they've got some holes. But the Eagles are really good, I think. And I just don't think that they've been put to it in a big spot yet this year. Uh, I'll be really interested to see what happens when they play, for example, the Cowboys, uh, when they play another primetime game, uh, when they're really, when they're challenged. I, I, yeah. I think that Philadelphia, when they're challenged, is pretty darn good. So, but I, I would see, love to see Detroit and Philly play. I think that'd be a heck of a football game. Well, he, he, here's when you go back to Detroit. That's the talking point here. I just brought the Eagles. When you go back to Detroit, I always look at, are they going to, are they going to continue to be a talking point? Let's say in five weeks. So here's what they have coming up next week. They go to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is coming off a of bye. They're three and one. That's going to be an interesting football game. Then they go to Baltimore. That's going to be an interesting game at MT Bank Stadium. Then they host the Raiders. Then they go to the Chargers. Now if they can get through that stretch. Then it gets real soft. Chicago, Green Bay, New Orleans, Chicago again, Denver. And then they have Minnesota, Dallas, Minnesota to finish out the season. These next few games, I think, are going to tell us a lot about the Detroit Lions. Because when you when you beat the Carolina Panthers 42 to 24, I'm sorry, I'm not really writing home about that. I, I get that they're four and one. Jared Goff has played better, but I'm not really gonna, you know, say, oh wow, like this game is incredible. This team is incredible after beating a, a winless team. They did what they should have. I'm excited to see what they do in these upcoming games because there are going to be some tough ones. We'll see how they respond. What do you think? Yeah, if they get through that stretch two and two, and now they're six and three, and then they get into that really soft, soft stretch, you can easily see them going 12 and five. Yeah. That probably locks up the number three seed. And, you know, you, you get to play the sixth seed, and that's probably a winnable game at home. And then you go to Philly or you go to San Francisco in the divisional round and you take your chances. And I, I think that for Detroit, a team that has not won <laughs> a division championship since 1993 and hasn't won a playoff game since 1991, that'd be a whale of the season. It would be. And they're a team that I guarantee, unless they, they get injured or something really goes down South quickly, they're a team that people are going to say, you don't want to play the lions. Like you, that, that's it. They're a dangerous team. They can go into your house. They can win because well, I don't know. They're, they're kind of like the Maverick uh, to, to quote Top Gun. They're like the Maverick of the NFL. Like you're dangerous, <laughs> man. You're dangerous. So, all right, let's finish up with the Eagles quarterback player profile. Jalen hurts. He had a decent game. He was my uh, FanDuel daily fantasy quarterback this week. Got me some good points. Kevin, why don't you go ahead and talk about Mr. Hurts for a sec? Yeah. You know, I just, I, I was thinking about a, a player profile and, and uh, I just thought, Who's somebody who's just good every week, right? Who, who's somebody that that probably doesn't get a, a ton of headlines because they don't do spectacular stuff, but every week they just seem to be good. And then I just looked at Jalen Hurts and look at his stat. He was 25 out of 38 for 300 yards yesterday. And and he ran the ball 15 times for 72 yards. And he, he had, I thought this was a really awesome statistic. He had six first downs running the football yesterday. I mean, you get six, six rushing first downs out of your quarterback for, I mean, first of all, there's, there's teams in the NFL don't, don't get six rushing first downs in a game collectively, much less from their quarterback. Uh, and, and it just, it was just another one of those workmanlike performances from Jalen hurts who like, I went back and I said like, like all, all this guy does is win, man. He just wins. So I went back and I looked at his college career. I mean, he was 39 and four as a starting quarterback at Alabama and then at Oklahoma. What he did when he left Alabama to go to Oklahoma, uh, I thought was remarkable considering the way that he handled being benched at Alabama and then flipped that 
into uh, a, a heck of a season at Oklahoma where he led them to the to the national playoffs. He was at Oklahoma for two weeks, and they named him the, the, the a team captain. I mean, that, how impressive is that where you just show up as the new guy, and two weeks later they name you a team captain. And now in the pros, he's 28-11 and 11 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I just think that Jalen Hurts is like one of those guys who goes about his business. He's got one of the, one of my favorite quotes of all time when he said, you know, I had a purpose before anybody had an opinion. That is one of my absolute favorite mm-hmm. quotes, which is just him saying, you know, I, I was going to, I was going to be who I became before people started telling me who I am. And I love that. Uh, and I just feel as though when, when I look around the league at NFL quarterbacks, I don't know if he's the best, he's probably not the best, but He's one of those guys that if there was one game, you know, you had to you had to win one game, uh, and and you could you could pick your quarterback. I mean, he'd be on my absolute shortlist. He might he and Mahomes might be the two guys that I'd be choosing between. And so you know, I just feel like Jalen Hurts. While I think people recognize that he's really good, I still don't think they they know who he is. He is a very special talent, and I think it goes to show that you know, there, there were people that didn't think he could play quarterback in the NFL. And they, they thought that, wow, well, that Jalen hurts. He's kind of the gimmick guy. Maybe he's like a, a, a not so good cam Newton wildcat type guy. Maybe even flex him out to different positions, almost like a Cordell Stewart S type player. He's proven them all wrong. And I love that quote. I'd never heard that quote until you uh, just said it, but that's a phenomenal quote. It's a phenomenal mantra to live your life by, but yeah, Jalen hurts. He deserved all that. He deserved the big contract. He got, he's, Definitely paying paying the Eagles back, unlike Dak Prescott with the Cowboys that we already talked about in this show. So kudos, yeah, very much. Uh, good player profile this week, Coach. I, I think that was a good one. What was your overall takeaway from Week Five before we call it a show? Uh, I think the I think the best teams are starting to flex their muscles a little bit. San Francisco <laughs> looked phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Philly's kind of quietly going about their business. Same thing with the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs got pushed by Minnesota. But I thought that it was just, you know, a workmanlike win as you start sort of start to enter the middle part of the season. I think this, these are the weeks where it can get hard. Like you saw that happen with Buffalo having to go over to London, play the Giants. I mean, that's really a tough ass too, man. They're coming off of that big win over Miami and then they got to go to London and the Jags have been been there for 10 days or whatever it was. And um, But so, I you know, I can kind of excuse that one for the Bills. But I, I think you're starting to see the the, the top really establish itself as the top. And like we were saying earlier in the show, then there's everybody else other than a few bottom feeders. There's everybody else. And it'll be that jockeying for position over the next seven, eight, nine weeks that makes the NFL season so compelling. It's going to be a lot of fun and the cream always tends to rise to the top. And so we're definitely going to be talking about that on the NFL whip around as we progress through the regular season. Kevin, why don't you tell us what's coming up on the call sheet as well as where people can find you on social media. Yeah, so on social media, Twitter at KT Smith FFSN. Uh, the call sheet this week, right? We're going to be looking at uh, the progress of some of the rookie quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson got dinged up again, um, you know, and 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 just talking a little bit about the modern approach to the quarterback position. How much can you run your quarterbacks? How much can you ask them to be these sort of dual threat uh, athletes, even with all the all the rules? And, and then how do you develop young quarterbacks? We're talking about that a little bit. You, you look at the varying degrees so far. C.J. Stroud has obviously been really good and Bryce Young's struggling and Richardson's dinged up. What's your, what, are, what are the various approaches to bringing in a high-profile young quarterback? When do you put him in the lineup? 
how do you determine the system or the scheme you're going to run around that quarterback? Uh, so we'll look at that. And then we're going to look at some of the fad defenses that are that are popping up. I've noticed over the last couple of weeks, there's some really interesting defensive schemes sort of emerging to try to counter some of this, uh, you know, the crazy offensive statistics that we're seeing being put up. What about your boy Pez? How did he do this week? Oh, he had a rough one. I can't wait to talk to him about it. <laughs> I, I said last week, I said, these are the most all out on a limb picks that Pez has made yet. And if he, and if he hits on these, I'll, I'm going to think that there's something up, you know, he's got an inside yeah. guy or something. And Pez, Pez struggled. He's, he struggled. So I can't wait to have him on and be like, what's the deal, buddy? Come on. <laughs> you know? Fantastic stuff as always. Kevin, thanks for your time. You can find my work and Kevin's work at the Steel Curtain Network. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, if you want to follow me and my crazy takes on Twitter, you can follow me at Jay Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. Until next time, coach, thanks for your time. We'll see you.